Hey there, AJ Cordero here, a co-host on the Hockey Flow. I've been podcasting since 2007, and I've seen many changes over the years. But the best one has been the introduction of Anchor. And here's why. It's because it's easy and it's free. Seriously, I've spent so much time, money, and effort to get something at this level back in the day. Now, with a push of a few buttons, all that time, money, and energy are spent producing the show rather than distributing it. Now, you might not think you need a podcast, and hey, maybe you don't. But don't think of a podcast just as a way to get your news, sports, and entertainment fixes. It can be a way to tell your family's stories, shine a light on your hobbies and communities, go in-depth for a love of your team, or discuss how to change the world. The possibilities are limitless. Anchor provides creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. They also distribute your podcast so you can be heard on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and every player that supports an RSS feed. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum requirement on the size of your audience. Don't waste a second. Download the free Anchor app on your smartphone today or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do it. Seriously. The world is waiting to hear your story. This is the Hockey Flow. It's a brand new show that brings you all the best action on the NHL ice and much more. Marco D'Amico and Adam Boucher are your guides on the ice, and I am here, AJ Cordero, to put everything together behind the scenes. Let's get you a little bit of information. First of all, you can find Adam's work at ReallyAdamB on Twitter, and of course, Marco D'Amico can be found at ScrimmageAndStats.com, and of course, at the Hockey Expert on Twitter. You can check out all that amazing stuff, but of course, the big action-packed episode, as you know today, we're going to cover a little bit of the playoff action, but then we're going to get right to an interview with the amazing Mark Dumont, uh, now a collaborator and a contributor to the Montreal Canadiens organization, formerly of The Athletic and Habs Eyes on the Prize. You are in for an action-packed special, folks, so make sure you check this out. Uh, Share it around to other people as well, because uh, Mark just completely blew our minds, and I'm sure he will blow yours too. So take advantage, take a listen. Boys, let's get right into it. Where do we want to take off today? May I I think we have no choice but to talk about uh, the playoffs so far. Um... We're now officially in the conference finals, folks. It's my favorite time of the year. Uh, we know the 27 first draft picks or selections in the draft coming up. Uh, things are getting really tight. Uh, but I think we should uh, do a quick overview of, uh, of round two. I think we should definitely take a look at uh, what everybody's talking about in terms of the big, uh, the big matchups. Obviously, we had one that ended uh, rather early uh, for all of those that remember. So Tampa Bay uh, did away with Boston. If I remember correctly, in five, four, four, five, no, five, five, Boston won a game. So yeah, that's it in five. Uh, and really, we just kind of saw Tampa Bay take over that series after a little while. Um, you know, we talked about it on the last show. A lot of people say that perhaps it was Tuka Rask leaving that caused the 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 Bruins to lose. I really don't see that. I think Halak stood on his head for a lot of those games. Uh I honestly feel like uh, I, they couldn't have played Charlie McAvoy anymore or else they would have had to play him the whole game. Uh, and that's a safe, uh, all-purpose defenseman right there. I just simply put, and you know, Bruins fans might not like this, but after the perfection line, their depth simply could not keep up with the depth of Tampa Bay. Case in point, the best player in that series for Tampa Bay was, in my opinion, not a, a first-line player, but a very good second-line player in Andre Palat. So we really saw that kind of take heed. But then also, uh, and this is the key point, and I'm going to swing this over to Adam because Adam was talking about uh, defensemen on the power play recently on Twitter. So I'm going to relay this to him. 
But I really feel like what separated Tampa Bay from Boston is their defensive brigade because Victor Hedman, Ryan McDonough stood up as veterans, but Mikhail Sergachev and Eric Chernak really brought it to a next level. And then you just kind of had the secondary pieces, which were Luke Shen uh, and Zach Bogosian, really just kind of come in and round out the group. I want to know what you thought about that. So, yeah, so Sergachev really had a... Well, he's having great playoffs so far. He's really the number two guy behind Hedman, right? And I I would say, especially on the power play, yeah, maybe in terms of offense, more Sergachev, but... uh, yeah, exactly. He's number two, three uh, on Tampa Bay as of now, and you really see them just the way they they move on the power play. You have so you have always that top defenseman uh, staying on the blue line, and then you have that you have a wave, a, a second wave of three players, and you have one in front of the net. So it's just the players that are moving around and just having that one-two punch on defense on the power play uh, with Hedman and Sergachev just firing bombs at the net. I think that's what really made a difference uh, against Boston. They have more depth. And I think, yeah, as you said, after the perfection line, that was pretty much it for Boston. Yeah. I I mean, look, David Krejci had himself a series as well. Like, I really enjoyed watching David Krejci. I just didn't feel Charlie Coyle really play like he played last year. Um you know, I was looking for Jake DeBrusque a little bit. Although, like, let's let's be fair here. Jake DeBrusque was just all over the place, playing like a solid power forward at the age of like 22, 23. Like, it's, I'm, it, we're picking at details here because details are what make the difference between winning a series and not. Um, you know, so I think the better team won. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in Boston now that Tory Krug is set to probably test the market. Uh, you know, will... Uh, Tukarask come back, what will the goaltending situation look like, uh, and how will that affect their structure? So it's going to be an interesting summer for Bruins fans. Uh, but Tampa Bay moves on to its fourth conference finals in the last six years. Gotta love that work. This, this is what happens when you can both tank and attract free agents in Tampa Bay. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, moving on to the next series, though, in the East, uh, which was, to me, one of the most fun series of them all, uh, was the New York Islanders versus the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, what a back and forth series that, that was really fun because on paper between you and I on paper, Flyers should have swept the floor. Well, I mean, first of all, Flyers should have swept the Canadians and that still got to game six. Uh, but the Flyers should have swept the floor with, with the New York Islanders and the Islanders at a certain point, it looked like they were going to win in five as well. They were up three, one, um, and the Flyers came back. Uh, give them credit. Uh, some of their big players decided to wake up midseason. Uh, but I, again, want to swing it back to Adam and talk about the defensemen in this series, uh, specifically for Philadelphia. And that would be the emergence of whom I believe has been the number one for two years on this team, Ivan Provorov. So, yeah, he's just been a beast overall. Um, so good on the power play. And he just... It just seems like he, every time he's on the ice, something good happens. And it just seems like he's he's playing the entire game, right, Marco? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's just... He's another one of those guys that's emerging at the right time. Like I was, I think I was having this conversation with Jack Han uh, on Twitter the other day, but he's like the best offensive or overall offensive defenseman uh, coming out of Russia. 
have actually spent at least a year in the CHL. And we saw that with Provorov in the WHL. We saw that with Sergachev in Windsor in the OHL. Uh, and we're going to see that with the Flyers, who, if any Flyers fans are listening, uh, there was a certain guy by the name of Igor Zamula who played in the WHL, uh, who looks to be a fantastic free agent pickup for you guys. So there's a lot of good things to uh, to to look forward to for the Flyers, nonetheless. But I honestly feel like this series was lost because the secondary scoring uh, simply wasn't there to counter uh, the great checking play uh, of Barry Trotz and his team. Um, but I really do want to state the importance of Matt Barzal and Anthony Bavillier in these series because I feel like without those two players, they can't play the type of game that they want to play. They need those speedy guys that are great on transition to compensate for the slower guys like Anders Lee. Uh, Jordan Eberle is not the fastest player. Neither really is is Brock Nelson, who had a fantastic Game 7. Um, so really, Matt Barzal, in my opinion, has established himself in the superstar category, um, which is great because usually when a player who is belongs to Edmonton in, in any way, shape, or form leaves, even though you know they didn't really ever own Barzal. They just traded the pick that became Barzal. Uh, they always leave and become superstars. So it's it's kind of fun seeing how the Edmonton Oilers have contributed to the New York Islanders' success with Bavillier, with Barzal, and with Eberle on that, li- on that lineup. It's just, uh, it's really fun. And I'm happy for Islanders fans who not two years ago were dealing with the heartbreak of losing their captain, John Tavares. And now, well, frankly, for real, you don't need him. Look at and that. in ser- I mean, serious contention. Contention. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's been astonishing to watch, to be honest, right? I mean, it's, what a turnaround! Yeah, yeah. And I think that the Islanders will bring about, and and also to a lesser degree, and we're going to get to that in a second with the the, the Golden Knights. But I think it's going to bring about the importance of having a goalie tandem. I think slowly but surely we're going to start moving away from the elite number one goalie and moving into the one A one B category again. Um, which is going to both drive down the value of number one goalies, but drive up the value of backup goalies. Um, so, you know, we were talking about the Jake Allen trade uh, on the show last week as it happened. Uh, I feel like that blueprint is going to be taken into consideration, and we see many teams now pondering that. Uh, and two teams that are going to have to ponder that in the offseason are the teams that we're moving on to, and that was the series between Vancouver and Vegas. And these are teams, two teams that played their two goalies in this series, and all of them stood on their heads, and all of them won a game in this series. I, I just, I thought this was one of the best uh, up and down series of them all. I thought it was just con- consistent rope a dope. But I will again, Adam, bring it. It's almost a theme in this series, in these playoffs. But I will bring it to the defenseman in this in this series, and that is specifically BC boy Shea Theodore. And Michigan boy, Quinn Hughes, how vital were these two players in the transition, defense, and offense of both teams? Oh, yeah, you're talking about the two teams' horses, basically, on defense, the, the, the QBs of the entire team. Um, so we, we, we knew Quinn Hughes would, would be excellent, as he did all season long. We knew Theodore would be... Like he's having, he had a great year, but now I feel like he's really having a breakout uh, type of performance in the playoffs, and he's still doing it now in the the the, the conference finals. Um, I mean, he's just he's just been excellent. Uh, 
on the power play and def- in his own defensive zone as well. Uh, he's just been very, very good. I don't know what you, if you have any stats, you, stats you want to bring up in particular, but. Well, look, I, I'm going to be straight up with you guys. Um, <laughs> I don't even need the eye test does enough when you look at Shea Theodore right now, but I will state this. Shea Theodore was a throw in a sweetener in the expansion draft so that the Ducks can get rid of Clayton Stoner's contract. Okay? We have not, we have been looking at nothing but Marcia so and Riley Smith from Florida, Alex Tuck and Eric Holla from, from, the, uh, from, from the Minnesota Wild, uh, William Carlson, uh, accompanied obviously with the uh, Clarkson contract uh, from, from uh, Columbus, and, and to a degree, even the first round pick for taking Mikhail Grabowski from the Islanders, uh, which resulted, I believe, in Eric Brandstrom's selection. But at the end of the day, what may go down as the best move of the entire expansion draft might actually be this one. Because say what you will, but Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty are the top players on this team. Not Riley Smith, not not Eric Halla, not Alex Tuck, who is a beauty depth player right now and eventually a top six scorer. But the most impactful player right now, arguably, is either William Carlson, the first-line center, or Shea Theodore, the undisputed number one defenseman. So I, I just, I find it great. Um, there, was another, uh, there was another point of contention that I wanted to bring up, and that was the legendary play, in my opinion. This is going to go down. Uh, he might be a, a legend going forward next year. The, the, the expectations are going to be very high for him in a contract year. And that's the play of Thatcher Demko. Uh, this is a rookie, guys. <laughs> like, this is this guy is just, like, thrown to the wolves in an elimination game and puts up, like, 48 saves. Um, and not just, like, 48 boo-boo saves here. There were 14 high-danger chances in game six. Hello. Like, that is insane for a rookie goalie. Yeah, I was getting Cam Ward vibes out of this guy. It was just the way that he was just thrown into the wolves. It came in and controlled the flow. And you saw how that gave Vancouver confidence. It really, again, will speak to the truth that a viable backup is going to be necessary. Um, with a condensed season that we're going to have next year, I think it's going to become even more prevalent. Uh, and a lot of the discussions now is, was Demko's performance in the playoffs enough to push out uh, yeah, Jacob Markstrom, who himself was in a contract year, uh, in favor of maybe a, poten- a cheaper backup option on the free agent market, uh, and just start Demko number one. Personally, I feel like they should re-sign Markstrom in their loss. Um, I think we saw that although Demko is fantastic, he only let in one goal in two games. Uh, ultimately, I believe that Demko still on a full 82 game schedule will still require that one B kind of goalie. Uh, what it can do, however, it reduces Markstrom's negotiation strength because now they have a viable option to replace him. So he doesn't have as much of a, as much ground to stand on. So it's going to be interesting for the Vancouver Canucks who have a ridiculous amount of things to talk about this summer when it comes to moving contracts and signing players. So that's going to be fun. But then we have Vegas to talk about and their tandem of goalies. Uh, you know, we talked uh, at length about uh, Alan Walsh's unfortunate uh, actions on Twitter uh, when it came time for uh, Robin Leonard to be uh, given the, the starter's role. 
Uh, and Robin Leonard, let's call her spade a spade, got a shutout in Game 7 against Vancouver, and I think more than earned his time. But then they go back with, with Marc-Andre Fleury in Game 1 versus the Dallas Stars. So, again, depth in nets. It's going to be the theme of a condensed hockey season, in my opinion, with multiple back-to-backs, much more than we're used to, and three and fours. Um, so definitely something to keep an eye on. Now, one series that had absolutely nothing to do with goaltending, Dallas versus Colorado. And we're talking about breakout defensemen. I think you know who I'm referring to. He, he's he's kind of the MVP right now, the leading uh, Conn Smythe trophy winner in my estimation. And that's Miro Heiskanen. Yeah, he's been so good for Dallas. So, so good. And yeah, so he's leading points, uh, defenseman in points for the playoffs. Um, yeah. And you could say he's even that good in his own zone. I think he's he's a comparable to Theodore now more than... you. I know you compared uh, Quinn Hughes to Theodore. I think those two are even a better comparison in Heiskanen and Theodore. And I don't think there's a better defenseman in the playoffs than Heiskanen. And that includes I have to agree. Like, prove me otherwise. It's it's yeah. incredible. And like Miro's got John Klingberg playing behind him. That's of note. Ezra Lindell, who's a great transitional defenseman, but like again, everything seems to be going by Heiskanen. That it be defensively, offensively, in the neutral zone, PK penalty, uh, power play. It's just him. Yeah. I I I don't know where Dallas would be without Heiskanen right now because. They seem to be having their own little goalie meltdown. Um, you know, uh, Ben Bishop was brought in, scored five goals against in like a period. And now he's um, back to, to... Then they could yeah. have been brought... Not even. Not even. Yeah. He wasn't even well, back. I mean, he's not he's, even playing. He's back to being unfit to play. He's not even second goalie now. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, exactly. He should yeah. have never been there. It was an injury. So yesterday, Anton could have yeah. been played again. And he was forced out of his cage, and they had to bring in another another rookie goaltender in Jake Ettinger, a first-round pick for the Dallas Stars, I believe in 27... Actually, he was the pick uh, right after Paling, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think 26th or 27th overall. Anyway, it was, it was just really fun. Uh, they all played together in the U.S. National Development Team, but he, I've been following him a lot uh, in the NCAA, and it's kind of ironic that he makes his playoff debut in the third period of a Game 1 Versus the Vegas Golden Knights, and doesn't, but doesn't get a first shot before like seven or eight minutes. No, it was more than minutes. that. It was crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just it. It just goes to show, like if Dallas can play defensively, they barely need a goalie because they just control exactly, the puck. Yeah. But what can be said about Vegas, right? So I just I just want to circle back because I know a lot of people are a little ticked off the fact that Nathan McKinnon couldn't continue his crazy Freak, yeah. uh, his crazy playoff run. One of those guys is is AJ who's looking down in sadness right now. Uh, you can't see him, but he's, he's a little sad. Um, I, can't be, I can't be mad at Nate McKinnon. I hope that Nate McKinnon is going to have himself a great career. And quite frankly, uh, I think that the Colorado Avalanche have a lot to look forward to moving forward. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that one. And we're back. Today we have a very special guest, a uh, special contributor uh, but formerly from The Athletic and Habs on the Prize, we have here Mark Dumont with us. Mark, how are you doing today? Not too bad in yourself, Marco. Uh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm kind of a deer in the headlights right now. I'm, I'm, I'm loving the fact that we have you on the show. Um, Adam, of course, and AJ with us. 
thrilled to have you. Um, you know, when we when we first started talking about having you on the show, I was super curious, and I think I may have spoiled the punch with all the questions I asked you then, but I was super curious as to how the role with the Canadians came about. Um, you know, I, I could I speak for myself as a Habs fan, but I, I'm sure I could speak for the whole community in the sense that it's absolutely refreshing having relevant and 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 really uh, good content uh, to be able to get directly from the team. Uh, so we're just, you know, we're a little curious to see how that kind of came about. Uh, it, it was interesting because obviously when this happened with the athletic, you know, when you're when you're in sports journalism, you you're kind of like a, a player. You have to kind of set up your team beforehand. Right. So when you get dumped in the middle of the season, it's kind of like you're getting put on waivers. And that's essentially what happened to me. But I got put on waivers when there was no league. There was no sports. And as much as I can criticize the athletic, which I absolutely can, but I'm not going to, um, it's understandable the situation they were in, right? Mm. You build this 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 journalist, uh, this endeavor based on, on live sports, and I understand why they went that route. But um, I got an email, actually, from uh, the VP of Marketing and uh, co-signed by uh, a certain Mr. Molson that wanted me on the team uh, roughly, I'd say less than a week after I got laid off, which was great, guys, because it was really a tough time for me. Um, especially, you know, I'm away from home right now. I moved for this job. So it was one of those, like, there's no jobs available. I have no job. And, um, you know, speaking in both languages is great, but if no one's paying you for it, you got to get to work, right? Now, I was at that point, I was about to go go to work. And, and I understand, listen, there's a million people that do what I do. So I had to kind of figure it out, but the Habs came through. Uh, we had a really great phone call, and uh, I have to admit, I mean, they put me at the forefront. You know, my mom went on the website the other day and said, your face is in three different places on the website. And I have to give them credit because I criticize the Canadians a lot. Um, I was probably one of the most vocal people, but I would do it with background, right? So, like, uh, you know, I won't go out of my way to criticize something because I'm in a bad mood. You know, you always have to look at both sides of things. But I think that's what they liked. They wanted a little more criticism. Uh, they wanted a little more constructive criticism. So I got to give the Canadians full props. Not only did they sign my paychecks, uh, they brought me on board with the caveat that I can do not what I want, but as long as I keep it the way I was doing it, th- they're happy with it. And and I think that shows growth for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's the same thing that, you know, when you when you made that announcement, I, I remember just the flooding of support. Um, but coupled with the idea that the Canadians made good on their promise that they were trying to be more transparent. And I feel like nobody can really question that now, despite like the unfit to play monikers that we have in the NHL currently with COVID. Uh, there was a little bit of talks in that when the athletic came out that three Montreal Canadians were potentially infected today. Uh, I find it super, super fun to actually read through, especially during the playoffs. Uh, just really looking at, you know, this is the first time I actually saw a Canadian centric article used advanced stats. I, it was you, you used goals goals for at one point or expected goals for and I was like oh my god they let him it yes. was it was phenomenal I just again so thankful that they they made the right choice in my opinion uh, there I is mean, there is I, they, they let me put in littlest hobo uh, references they let me put in like references to like some obscure 80s music you know yep. uh, <laughs> it, it's been ridiculously fun so far and you know what here's one thing i'll give to the canadians a lot of people warned me before i joined them they said listen they're a tough team to work for it's been the complete opposite yeah in, in my experience like they've been awesome they've been quick and you know what uh they're not full of themselves which is something that i was kind of worried about whether or not they'd be and the, because you know let's let's face it it's probably the strongest french canadian brand in the world 
Um, and, and they've always been the serious brand, right? But now they realize the world's changing. And, and I have to give them a ton of credit for, uh, for, for, for essentially letting me have a lot of fun on this website. I think it's been, um, it's been really interesting. But they're, they're, they're yet to, even if I, I called them, I said they're not a Stanley Cup contender. They struggle on the power play. You know, they're, they've had this issue for three, four. I criticize them with a backup position on their own website. Uh, so I don't think there are a lot of teams doing that. And I think a lot of the credit has to go to Jeff Molson. He wanted to change yep. the perception of his team. Yeah. And, I, and again, this, one of the things I do enjoy, um, I feel like there would be a nuclear bomb dropped in Toronto if someone dared self critique the big four in, in Toronto. So I feel like that's already a step ahead that we have in Montreal. And I really, I find that super interesting. Uh, most and recently, they let me take shots at the Leafs too, which is fun. Take like shots all, at all the in, yeah, yeah, like all in good fun though. But uh, yeah, they let me. You know, they even let me take shots at uh, Zach Ashton Reese at one point. Who, who oh, I yeah, like, that was really fantastic. Like yeah, that I, I like that him. I, I think he's a really good player. But um, yeah, they let me take a few s- subtle shots at him, which is which is fun. You know, it, we have to. We can never forget. Sports are supposed to be fun. Like it's serious, and I delve into analytics. I delve all well, data analysis, but. We got to have fun, right, guys? Like, yeah. that's the whole point behind this is having fun. And I feel like the Canadians got away from that a little bit in, in the last few decades. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, uh, I came from a, a radio background. I worked at 91.9 uh, with George Lorac. And that was a tough uh, six months in 2016. The PK Subban stuff, uh, the Gilles Villeneuve stuff with, with Pacioretty being supposedly the worst captain of, in the history of Montreal Canadiens. So that's when the Canadians really kind of clamped down again on all forms of, I guess, media ventures in my, in, in my estimation, I, the interview we had with Pacioretty the week after was just like stone cold predetermined questions. And that's all you're getting. Yeah. Uh, so it is really refreshing. Um, so what, you know, one of the articles that you released recently was on Jordan Harris and I saw oh, a lot, well, you and I both, I've been watching him at Northeastern since he's been drafted. Uh, I've been, literally pulling at every quote that Jim Madigan makes in regards to both him and now Struble. Uh, I know Eric Engels had an article on him uh, in this regard uh, sometime in May, yeah. but I feel like you went and, and, and obviously Eric is a fantastic journalist, but being for the Canadians, I feel like you, you had a little bit more uh, leeway or time to, to question. And a lot of the stuff that he mentioned or talked about Jordan uh, was really fun. So I guess my question in this regard is how does that process work? How does it, how do you go about getting those interviews? How do you go about uh, getting approval from uh, the team, the NCAA team, the coach, the personnel, et cetera, to, to build an article like that? Usually you go through PR. Okay. And that's pretty simple. Uh, I have about 50 PR numbers on here and, and I just give them a quick call and I say, Hey, listen, I, or a text because we don't use phones to phone people anymore. Cause that's weird. Um, and you just say, hey, can I talk to them? And then they never get back to you. That's the thing. That's the thing with PR guys. Half yeah. the time when they say, and I love the PR guys, don't get me wrong, but half the time when they say, yeah, yeah, I'm still waiting for an answer, they haven't asked yet. Like, And that, yeah. that's the thing the Canadians did do a fair amount. Um, yeah. You'd get back to the player and, and the player would say, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. But they never asked me to do it, right? And I'm talking about like we're going way back. Now it's a lot better. Uh, mm-hmm. But in this case, my boss, uh, Shauna, she takes care of everything, which is Wow. Been a new, not a wrinkle, but I suppose a boon to to one of the biggest issues that I'm good. I'm a really good journal. I'm able to write words, <laughs> um, but this whole setting up things like the logistics, I hate doing. I I like yeah. I, I fear it. I fear sending messages to people that I don't know and setting up a time and all that. So 
They take care of all that. Uh, and basically, it was purged from a list of ideas that me and Shauna came up with when I first joined the team. Nice. I sent them about 500 article ideas, um, my, like my second day. I just like I wanted to be. I wanted them to know, like, hey, you yeah, still got yeah, that I old school that, right? journalism in yeah. you. Like, you came, exactly. you came in with a book. Exactly. exactly. And, and here's what I really like. Um, I got I received I received the green light on most of them and feedback and constructive criticism immediately. And I put that list up at several different outlets, and I've never gotten that kind of feedback before. So um, they're pretty excited about it. So that gets me excited too. And honestly, it's two way street. But basically, Shauna takes care of everything. And then I come in and I do the easy stuff, you know, um, just speak to the coaches. And my approach, especially with Jim Madigan, for example, because he's mm -hmm. amazing. Like this guy's awesome. a wordsmith and his knowledge is just through the roof. Right. And it's not just superfluous knowledge. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, this is this guy knows everything about hockey. Yeah. Um, but the key is to have a conversation. Some guys can do it. Some guys can't. And I'm a lot better when we're just having a conversation rather than a Q&A session. So that's kind of how I approach it. Once I get that, I speak to the player. For example, I'm speaking to uh, uh, Struble uh, this evening, and then I write my article. But there's no, like, they're not tying me into any specific thing. They say, here, here's an idea, or here's your idea. We're going to do it. Go for it. And they set it up for me. So really, really easy. Just don't tell them I told you that, but really <laughs> easy so far. Well, uh, for anybody listening, I'm going to be straight up. Uh, Jaden Struble is my favorite prospect in the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Pool. Obviously, everybody's going to be happy about Caulfield, um, but we all know how good Caulfield is. Struble, for me, is really the cache of this team. Uh, so anybody who wants to know anything about Struble, I suggest you you check it out on the Canadians' website because that is a... that I, I still stay to this day. Jaden Struble would be a first-round pick in this draft if he were just born seven days later. I, right, I and yeah, guy. age is a big part of it too. But me, I'm, I'm actually very... Okay, I've only watched about half a dozen Northeastern games, so... I, like I wouldn't want to say that I'm an expert on this because I'm really not. I'm a rookie just watching them play. But from what I've seen, the Harris, I mean, I don't want to take away from Struble's explosive, right? He's got that. Everybody talks about the physical game, but I feel like that's downplaying his actual value. That, um, yeah. But there's not, when I talk about Harris, we say he's well-rounded. What I liked about Madigan, he said, when I say well-rounded, I don't mean that he's mediocre at everything. He's it's really crazy. good at everything. And I feel like the confidence, the leadership, that's something that will really help NHL coaches or AHL coaches adapt to him. We'll see how Struble does. Let's let's keep in mind he played as a, a true freshman last season, so yeah. uh, this will be a big year for him. But hey, when's the last time where we, these are guys? What they're 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 ten, fifteen on the Habs like most lists, right? Yeah, they, initially, yeah. Now they're obviously and they're and they're fairly exciting. So that's that's fairly yeah. Now they're starting to get some recognition. Exactly. Finally, that's but what happens. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and then you talk about guys like Romanov um, and Norlander and. You know, what, what we see here is intelligent players. I think there's a very concise and uh, dedicated effort to go get very intelligent players for the Canadians. That's one of their assets they look at. And I will take intelligence over all the other perceived things that you can't really put a value on. Um, I think an intelligent person makes for a good hockey player. And, and Struble has that in spades. Oh, yeah. And, and to consider that he started the season with a groin injury. Uh, mm -hmm. that slowed him down. And then once it was fully healed, he went on a point-per-game streak for 10 games. It's, well, and look, that's I, what Madigan was saying. He's saying, I don't want to spoil the article, but he's like, this guy, okay, he went to camp, essentially, the Habs dev camp as a 17-year-old. Yeah. Um, and he missed all of their X's and O's training. Like he said, basically, this guy was out of the picture. And he, he, he took him a little while. But once he got into his rhythm, uh, Madigan loves Struwell. But I'll tell you, he spoke even higher of Harris. That's, why, Harris, that's yeah. why I tend to really take the coach's opinion 
uh, to heart. Mm-hmm. And this guy absolutely loves Harris, but yeah. big fan of big fan of uh, uh, and he wasn't a big fan of Primo leaving Northeastern early, which I kind of agree with him. But yeah, no, that's a whole other thing. It. I could see it. They still won the bean pot in Northeastern, so no sour grapes there. But yeah, uh, I I will say. Uh, watching Harris or the way Harris has evolved over the last two years, uh, I, in Madigan's place, I, I would also be pumping him to the moon right now. So, no, I, I get it. Uh, even the Vancouver Canucks fan base, uh, when they still had uh, Tyler Madden, and now the Kings fan base, speak very highly of Madigan and, and the way he's able to kind of proje- present uh, the, the weaknesses, but also the strengths of his players. So, yeah, again, really intuitive article, really enjoyed it. Um, one of the other questions I had is, are they going to have you covering anything draft related or is that in the cards as well? Yeah, absolutely. Now here's where I start reading up on the draft to pretend I know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> I feel like most of us have like a base, like for example, Marco, you have a really strong knowledge of prospects, but I'd say in general, most of us kind of just read what a few other people say and yeah. pretend that we Leave know what prospects. we're talking about. Right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know how, how good you're at at this, Adam, but uh, that that's kind of what I do. I actually um, I work fairly closely with hockey prospects, and I get I read through their black books, so it gives me a bit yeah. of. A, but that's not enough, right? That's a base. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will be delving into it now. I've been speaking to a lot of scouts. One of the best part about working for uh, when I worked at the other company in Laval, I dealt with a lot of scouts. Yeah, uh, and it's really interesting to get their 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 perspective. Because I never played competitive hockey, I, I was I was the fat goalie, you know, playing <laughs> playing rec league. So uh, getting their percent, you know, just stuff like heavy on the puck. What I thought heavy on the puck means you can't get knocked off easily. So yeah, okay, it's a, it's a little different than that. Um, it, it, the speed and how heavy you are entering the zone will affect how you know how you can actually distribute the puck in the offensive zone, and, and it's stuff like that, little minor things that I didn't really understand that. Thankfully, because I work there, I got to speak to a lot of the scouts. So I'm going to bring that knowledge. And yes, the answer is I will be covering the uh, the draft for the Montreal oh, Canadiens. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. What is it? What, 14 picks? Oh, no, no. They're down to 13. 12. 12. 12, 12 yeah. Terrible. There was a third and a seventh that went to St. Louis in 2020 for Jake Allen. I'll so how are they going to trade, trade their seventh to Florida or Philly? How's that going to work? <laughs> that's that's <laughs> their move there, right? Like, they, they got a seventh in 2022 uh, from St. Louis. They might as well just trade it back to Philadelphia for their seventh. It'll work exactly. out. Trust me, it'll work. I, although I don't know if Florida's going to play ball anymore since Bill Zito is, is the, the GM instead of uh, the godfather of the Blackhawks organization, Dale Talon. So we'll see uh, We'll see how that goes. But uh, definitely, and, 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 and Hextall isn't the GM. Damn, Bergevin's out of trade partners. No wonder he's been trading with St. Louis. Makes well, there's sense. still Chicago, right? There's, yeah. There's... When in doubt, Stan Bowen, yeah. Kevin Chevel, day off. <laughs> the interesting thing to me will be for, will they... I think they've really targeted players. They've gone against the best player available approach in recent years in the sense that they had to fill some ranks. Let's be honest, guys. Yeah. Like they needed centers. Yeah. You know, when we talk about best player available and there was the cut Kanyemi when obviously my colleague, Tony Marinero, he wanted to get a few more ears on the radio and, and he was talking about the error of picking cut Kanyemi, but we have, we can't forget that the Habs needed centers like for since Jean. Right, like we're going back to such yes. genre, um, or you could even argue Dafus, you know. So yes, yeah, that's it. The so, best uh, center depth we had was Koivu Plakanets for one season. That was yeah, it. and and I mean maybe Yannick Perrault was in the mix at one oh, point. Oh wow, yes. yeah, faceoff master. He's literally just there to take exactly. Face-off and <laughs> and, and Michel Terrier put though. Bill Lindsay on the ice instead of 
against the Canes, oh, and the Canes scored. And sorry, I got to get over that. Yeah, but, <laughs> I still can't. My dad reminds me of that like every the time. The Bill Lindsay face-off, he lost yeah. that face-off. But you know he, what's bro- crazy? he broke I, my TV. <laughs> I think my Lindsay dad- even scored that game, though, like his one playoff game. Yeah, but- it, was some- it was something ridiculous like that. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're bringing back memories. So now. I'm interested. Now they can actually pick best player. Um, yes. I feel like they-, they would make a mistake from saying, okay, we have all our centers and we have good defense that's just pick wingers at this point i feel like you have a little bit of everything there's probably a little weakness on the wings in terms of depth and uh prospects caulfield will be a big uh, part of that but at yep. this point it's bpa and what for most guys are telling me it feels like they say this every year but it's one of those drafts where like one to 15 okay but then after that you know all yeah, bets are off all bets i would have off. to agree um yeah i'd say what i'd say that's different this year versus last year is i think that the group that glut of 20 to 45 is stronger this year than it was last year and i think Which that's what might be cool yeah. but the other thing that might be cool you were talking about best player available um we all know that teams won't do that uh we saw it last year marit Sider going sixth overall uh then broberg eight uh arizona trading up for soderstrom at 11 and then cam york at 14 uh there were two of those guys ranked in the top 10 before that draft started or sorry one of them broberg that's it uh, and then two in the top 15 or three in the top 15. And then I wound up being five. This is going to happen in this draft as well. You can't just pick 10 wingers in a row. Uh, so you're going to have a Drysdale, a Sanderson going top 10. Oh, and you might have a guy like Perfetti fall to, you know, like, yeah, I know it. that's probably that's pushing exactly it, there. it Yeah. But, but hey, maybe a Jarvis and, and, falling, for example, you know, maybe a Quinn and, falling. Exactly. So, because, you know, it's funny because when we were in Vancouver, I was, I was telling the guys, I'm like, look at Caulfield. He's going to fall. And they're like, no, 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 guys, he broke records. Like this is, and they're like, yeah. no, no, no. Because of the Brinkat teams know now. No, they don't. Nope. I mean, nope. they might there, but you can't pass up a guy at that, that point. That draft I mean, had both Caulfield and Nick Robertson fall ridiculously, in my opinion. And both of them are probably the two best scorers of that draft. Yeah. And, and we go to what, what, what um, John, I'm going to massacre his name, but Roblowski, I believe is his name of the, 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 the uh, dev team. He's like, yeah. guys, stop calling him a goal scorer. He's not just a goal scorer. Like this guy yeah. drove the offense more than a certain Hughes. And he's saying, like in our our data, Caulfield was a better play driver than Hughes was. Yeah. That was off the record. Now he's been drafted, so it's fine. But it's, um, it's I good think now. I think I think Habs fans will be a little excited to see that this guy doesn't just he's not just a Brett Hall. Which hey, if he is, that <laughs> you're gonna take that's that. Okay yeah, too. but, but uh, he's got, I, I he's got more skill than just scoring goals. I oh, think. Yeah. I think if you look at uh, Caulfield's game, he scored 11 goals in his first six games at Wisconsin this year, and then eight in his last 31, and still managed to finish at a point per game. And that's because he was able to start being a playmaker on a team that only had one other player than him with double-digit goals in Wisconsin. And it wasn't Sakat, who was it? Roman Akan. Or Atsan, I can never pronounce that name properly. Yeah, but again, Alex, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Alex Turcott was underwhelming beyond belief. I and he got like signed. Dylan, like I didn't get. He that. was signed because they didn't want him to stay in Wisconsin with Tony Granado anymore. They wanted to control That's not the, the first assets. Team that talks about that. Um, I know. I know. No comment. No comment. Well, they did the same thing with Condre Miller, and then with the New York Rangers, they signed him, even though many people would say he regressed in Wisconsin. The play, the two players to me that showed the most improvement in the season were Cole Caulfield and 2020 draft eligible Dylan Holloway. And those are the two players that if the NCAA does hold their season for the Big Ten this year are going to be the two mainstays for Wisconsin. Yeah. So, And, and I mean, I, I feel like Caulfield, it's a pretty good 
I, I was convinced he was going to come. Here's another thing I found that showed growth for the Canadians. I felt like they were going to start force feeding their prospects into a system that wasn't ready for them yet. Ryan Paling was an example of that. He wasn't yeah. ready. Uh, he, he, he lost his confidence. He was essentially skating up and down the wing constantly doing nothing. He wasn't getting a lot of minutes. And to me, I thought, oh, God, here we go. Like, it's good to have the prospects, but they're going to shove these guys through. When they left Caulfield, when they said Caulfield is going to go back for another season, I thought, okay, they got the picture here. Like, you could have brought Caulfield on board, right? Mm -hmm. Would anyone argue that he'd get more or fewer than 15 goals next next year? Probably not. No, no, he'd easily get that. But I think it shows a little bit of growth and long-term planning, which, again, was an issue for the Canadians, is the long-term planning rather than reactionary. So I feel like they really got in line there. And guys, I predicted Caulfield would be in the NHL next season. And I'm glad to be wrong about that. Yeah, same here. Um, Honestly, like I just, if he was going to just be that Palmieri style trigger man, that that 30 goal scoring, but like 15 assist guy, then sure, maybe throw him in the AHL. But he's going to be bigger than that, pun intended. Uh, (laughs) So we're going to, to me, it's about being patient with these guys. Because if you're patient, Nick Suzuki was scoring 100 points a season in his draft year. Uh, and for continue to do that year after year at the same pace, uh, yeah. if not higher, and they left him there till he was twenty. And you only never hear of a prospect get getting overcooked, right? That's the thing. That's exactly. <coughs> There's some guys that. that obviously like goalies that maybe need to be brought up at a certain point. But when I was speaking to Madigan, he's saying like Lafreniere and McDavid. We get it. Yeah, yeah. Like they're already too good for the like they should be in the NHL. You know. Yeah. Um, but he's like 99% of players. They need their time. And, and and here's what I like about the NCAA side. You're not maturing just as a player. You're maturing as a person. And that's one of the things we miss out on the CHL, I find, is that that idea that you have to cook for yourself. You know, you have to do your own laundry. You have to go to school at the same time. Uh, you're away from home. Um, you know, you're living, you're socializing. Like, these are all really, really crucial aspects for, for these players moving forward. And I think Caulfield... Uh, and any other top player that's always had the most minutes, the most success, it's a nice learning curve that, yeah, you're great in hockey, but the other side of the world is still there. And you have to take care of that too. So I feel it'll help a lot for his maturity on and off the ice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was thinking the same thing uh, on my end, really. It was just kind of looking at the, the the benefits of playing a guy like Caulfield another season where he's going to literally be the guy. Um, so I find it a little intriguing, uh, really to see be good next year. No, not at all. Worse. They lost much, much worse. Three of their best five players, right? Yeah, exactly. Turcotte's gone. Uh, Kalanick signed in Chicago and Condre Miller signed in with the Rangers. Uh, and then a bunch of other guys left as well. Um, but yeah, you you know, you're going to see it with prospects. You're going to see it with prospects. One guy that uh, everybody's going to talk about and the Habs could have rushed him too, uh, was Matthias Norlander. Uh, instead, agreeing and brokering a deal so that he can stay in Sweden and play in the SHL. Um, so, for me, I think it works. I, I think that staying in Sweden long-term for Norlander is the best thing, especially a defensive league like the SHL. Um, I just... I, was there anything yeah. said in regards to the prospect? Any any grapevines? Because, for me, he's probably the most exciting prospect that nobody really knows about. It's interesting you mentioned him because from my limited viewings, let's let's be honest, we none of many not many of us watched a lot of Moto last year. Um, I, I was talking to guys and they're like, no, no, they're in the SHL. I'm like, no, no, they got relegated like like ten years ago. You know what I mean? Like Moto hasn't been in the SHL for. I think they actually this year they got pushed back up. I believe. Anyhow, um, there almost, were no almost. Sorry, go ahead. Almost. Almost. Oh, well, there you go. 
Um, but I will say this. Um, I'm more excited about Norlinder than, than Romanov. And I think he might have a higher ceiling. Now, I believe Romanov will be a really good top four, okay? And I, I actually think it'll take some time and he might end up in Laval. And, and like this idea that he can just jump on the top pairing is a little crazy to me. Um, but what I like about Norlander is his ability to execute in tight, high speed. He can dangle with the best of them. And it's not just a matter of dangling to dangle. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of generating offense through it, leading the rush and creating passing lanes. So you could be a Robbie Shrimp and pull off the nicest moves in the world. But if you can't execute at game speed like Norlander does, it's useless, right? So what I really love about him is that he can he can process everything at a really high speed. And where, where was he picked? What, what was Norlander the third round, third round uh, 64th overall in 2019. And it's just like Romanov, everyone was like, oh, yeah, um, we don't know anything about him. Like, mm-hmm, <laughs> oh, you know, man. so, but I think he feels perfectly also in the mold of, of the new NHL defenseman. So it'll take a couple of years, but I, I would put, maybe not, I, I don't like to list the prospects, but I think there's a little more potential for excellence in Norlander's case, just because he has that high-end brain. I'd like to see Romanov get more ice time. <clears throat> more consistent uh, um, in terms of uh, gap control at the blue line. And oh, what are we waving at? It's my motion sensor. It automatically turns it off. So now I have the cinematic. Let's oh, see there. So the light went just back on. Oh, hey. <laughs> Otherwise I got this really um, moody I, I, look and I'm like, Ooh, what's happening? How are we planning the world domination? But I'm, whatever works best. <laughs> and, and, and in terms of Roma, I'd like to see him. Um, I want to see how he's able to gen- to control his emotions because I love his emotions. To me, he's a guy that wants to be involved in play all the time, but you have to pull it back sometimes, right? So you have to find, it's kind of like that Max Domi, um, you know, edge to him or PK Subban edge to him, that it's got to be the right amount of intensity. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. I just, I just don't think Romanov is ready to jump in a top pairing role like that. It seems no. also unfair to the player, right? Like well, here, goes you played 10 you minutes a night before. in the KHL. I know we, we kind of played our cards early and your minutes got killed there. Sometimes it was 18, sometimes it was four, but now you're playing with Shea Weber against the best players in the league. Bunch of yeah. see? I mean, yeah, it feels he's, a little hard. Um, he's probably going to fit in in Laval, right? What do you think about that next year? Like top pairing I, minutes I, in I Laval? Not, that's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you still, okay, are we going to say the Canadians are ready to compete next year for a cup? No. no. No, okay. Unless, I mean, well, sure, maybe make the case. Well, we're happy to hear. <laughs> no, I'm not, I can't make that case. That's the thing. So when you're talking about guys that can fill in for the time, I think Victor Metti is uh, very much underrated. Um, I Obviously, I bang the Brett Kulak pot all over the place. It's funny. We talk about yep. the top three defenders and Ben Sherratt's name gets thrown in there. But statistically speaking, Brett Kulak should be that third name that gets put in there. No offense yeah, to Ben Sherratt. So then you have, obviously, Kel Fleury and Noah Jolson and, and, and a bunch of other young guys that can maybe jump in and do. So I'd, I'd rather see Wallet. In, in Montreal and Romanov in Laval to maybe get a little bit of Joel Bouchard sprinkled goodness on him as well, because Bouchard tends to be able to put these guys in a comfortable situation. One of the things with these prospects coming from overseas, it's not about how they perform on the ice right away. It's how they, you know, get used to their nouveau milieu, uh, yeah. new country, new team, new teammates, new, new strategy, new arena size. You don't have your food. You don't have, imagine that you can't go get like, I couldn't get sin. Like how terrible would that be? You know, like what's the point of living at that point? So, um, Bouchard, I think would be a really interesting way to kind of get them used to, you know, to, 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 to life and maybe not Montreal, but you know, you're starting to get that taste of Laval, uh, of Montreal in Laval. So I'm with you, Adam. I'd really like to see him in Laval, but 
you know, if he forces the hand, that's fine too. I just don't yeah. see where you're going to go with here, right? Because you have Sherat signed, you got Kulak signed, and you got Mete signed. Like, where? You... Well, I guess we'll it would be Kulak that drops out there. We'll see about Mete because he's a restricted free agent this summer. Um, I like so... him. I just don't think that you're, you, you. I feel like, they, again, they kind of forced the issue with Victor Mete. It was a roster yeah. thing rather than a talent thing when he made the team. Mm-hmm. Let's be perfectly honest. Um, but I think there's still value there. Like, I, I really, I've almost gotten to the point that I defend him like I defended Jeff Petrie back in the day. He doesn't have that shot, but he has that ability to drive offense, and, and it's crucial. So I think when Mete played in the top pairing, he did good. Second pairing, he did good. Third pairing, I don't think is ideal for him. Um, so you're in that situation. I, I think it's Brett Kulak that falls on the wayside, unfortunately. But right, he's performed the best out of all of them. You know? Yeah, no. I, analytically speaking, he is a darling for the Habs. So, like, for yeah. I, I totally get it. Oh, I know, I know that you don't. He came in, played well for one season, and he was extended for three. So, I mean, there's a lot to like with Brett Kulak, and there's a lot of upside. And at worst, he's an extremely good number five. At worst. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, right? What's the worst of having? Like, would you rather him or Wallet on your on your exactly? Third no there offense teams to paying, Zavie, they're well, yeah. I mean, Xavier is a, is, is a good vet for Laval. He was their captain, so I could understand the argument either way. He lost 30 way. minutes a night, trust me. Like, great yep. for Laval, and Bouchard loves him, but let's be honest, he's a tweener, right? It's kind of like Chalidon. There's yep. value there, but it's a different game in the NHL. Exactly. And so I, I, I'm i the kind of guy that's like, okay, these are the guys that you need to have pushed out of your lineup by kids. So yes. you talk about Chalidon, Yessi Alonen uh, is a right winger that's probably going to play in the top six. If Caulfield signs uh, this year if the NCAA doesn't play. Well, those are your two top six wingers, in my opinion. Uh, and then you throw in maybe a Kevin Lynch on the right side, who was just re-signed by Laval. That's right. One-year deal. You know, it, who, who, Laval, by the way, was, he was so important to the Rocket, Kevin Lynch. I know this sounds crazy, but like oh this guy, he, he was like the cog in the, uh, you know, he was the, the linchpin. He was the, he was the important part of, of that line all the time, and he was always... Like, it, it, I remember uh, Joel Bouchard made a quote about it where it's like, uh, in a club, I'll just translate, but in a club, uh, you need your structure. Steak, bladain, patate. In, re- in reference to like Kevin Lynch being the glue between the two. And yeah, I was, yeah. oh my God, I, that man puts me into tears every time I listen to his sound bites. But that See, was well, one that The funny that thing is, is that he had a big issue with all the, the veterans last year, right? Because yeah, of course. It was a problem. And I know the Habs were super happy with me talking about it but a lot of these guys came in and they did the same thing on other teams they thought i'm gonna get 40 goals get a new contract and move on but laval was like no like sorry you're not well, going to and it actually extended to some are. of the veterans that are still on the Canadians roster so it was touch and go at one point last year in laval um i feel like i do probably compliment bouchard a little too much but he 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 took care of that, that situation sense. fairly well and uh, he went from denying they're a problem to the next day they got traded like literally the next day. So yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that. That two for two. Yeah, he's right? like, no, 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 they're fine. They're good. They're good. And like, oh, yeah, by the way, we Pittsburgh. got they're they're back in Pittsburgh now. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like the. I think it's uh, Blandisi or yeah, yeah, yes. acquisition Blandisi and Lucchini. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, I like Blandisi down the stretch, and I think that if they can retain him, uh, that's a guy I'd like to have as a vet. You know, on a on a two way deal. That was the argument. The was that because or is it Lucchini that? Or Blandisi, either way, one of them was an RFA, and that was the argument. They're like, no, 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 we're, we're making the trade because we can keep these guys on our organization yeah. longer. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why? Yeah. It's, it's one is, of so. them. <laughs> it's one of the reasons, but it's not the reason, right? The reason um, is they came in and they thought that they were going to get top one, and, and then they got told, you're going to sit for our first line or our first round picks. 
Yeah, absolutely. But, I remember but here's that. Here's the thing, guys. I'd be pissed too. Like, I, I have a ton of sympathy for these veterans. They're trying to, to like they need the next contract yeah. to like actually make money next year. Whereas a lot of these first round picks, they're going to have it easy. And that's the unfortunate reality of, uh, of the AHL. And that's the thing with uh, with Bouchard. Sorry to cut you off, Marco. That's the thing with Bouchard. He's been so good with those uh, those uh, younger players, and that backs up to when he was in Blainville with the Armada, like just bringing in those new players and just making them better, better professionals and better players all around. So I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? But it doesn't work on this. everyone. Like no, no, like, this is true. Players, some players hate it. And I get that. I completely get that. Like, even in, in Armada, when we're talking about the Blainville, like, I mean, I think he came in the first year and he replaced half the roster, right? Like, yeah. boom, just come, décollez-vous yeah. And then, uh, and then, like, he was saying, like, a lot of my players hate me. And I started to get that vibe from a few players, like, no, we don't like this guy, but holy shit, we'll run through a wall for him. There you and go. he te- tends to kind of walk that line between, like, your buddy and your coach, whereas Sylvain Lafayette was just your buddy. Sylvain yeah. Lafayette was one of the nicest guys I ever met in your life, but he yeah. wasn't like a coach he was he was your buddy right so i feel bouchard does a really good job like you say getting those people in the right right mindset and walking that line between uh your your friend and your coach yeah and and and, you know a lot of people my greatest example of bouchard having an effect on a kid obviously if you refer to the habs a lot of people will point to kakaniemi i feel like that's a a little bit overdone yeah it's a little bit overdone i think mete has more to thank bouchard than kakaniemi does i think kakaniemi taking his training seriously, unlike certain other players in Laval over this pause, probably helped for him to be better this year. When it pertains to Bouchard, I look at Pierre-Luc Dubois, who came over in a trade to the Blainville from uh, this, back then they were called the Screaming Eagles of Cape Breton. Uh, mm-hmm. And he went from a winger in Cape Breton to a legitimate first-line center uh, by the end of the playoffs in Blainville-Bobriand. Uh, and but, I think they went Adam, to the conference Adam, finals. Does, does, does he like... Does he like Bouchard? Because I've heard whispers about our friend Pierre Lisboa, who's not the biggest fan of Joël Bouchard, He's but he'll not. probably say, I'm happy what happened, right? Like, yeah, it's that, it's that fine line between I mean, pissing, pissing them off and, and getting them better, right? But he went from Bouchard to Tortorella, right? Like, yeah, it can't be that bad. And we yeah. already saw Tortorella literally berate him on the bench for an entire game. So you might as well get used to it. And that's what Bouchard tries to say. He's like, listen, when I'm yelling at these guys, especially in the queue, he'd say he'd get criticized a lot for like, let's say the players right here, like, you know, and he's like, right in his ear, like, ah, rah, rah, rah. but if you go back, he's like, the, the, the audio is not, he's like, you did a really good job in the face off and I'm so happy that you're listening to our strategy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like necessarily, it's not necessarily yeah. mean. It's actually, he's just intense. Like this guy is just yeah, always beyond intense, but I get it. Like some guys need to be pushed. Other guys need to be left alone. And, and it can rub some people the, ro- the wrong way. But if you're in the yeah. AHL, he's got a really good line. He's like, if you tell me this is where you want to land for the rest of your career, you're either an idiot or a liar. Right. So it's all about getting them to that, to that next yes. step. And, and I feel like he's been pretty good, but also we've been overrating it in the sense that there was no development before. So like, you, you know, if you're eating a shit sandwich all day and someone just gives you a mayo sandwich, it's going to taste really good. Right. So we, I think we have to wait and hold back a little bit to see, you know, how um, how this will go long-term. But hey, it's been a huge addition to the Canadians. We can't oh, deny yeah. that. Well, you know, if if you want me to point out the Bouchard effect immediately without, you know, making it hyperbole or a stretch, Jake Evans. Yeah. And Jake Evans to me... Evans. Exactly. It's so hard and on him. Let us, let us not forget how tough it was for Jake Evans to start the season. I, didn't, I think he didn't have a goal for the first 20 games or so. 
Uh, and 21. he only got one in an empty 21. And in, I think it was an empty net of all things. There you he go. He was going to be a scratch. Exactly. That game. Um, and then who got called up? Uh, someone got called up. Barber. I who it was. Was it not Riley Barber? Yes. Okay. That could be it. So then, and Evans had called his parents too. And he's like, listen, I deserve this. Like Evans is the smartest guy you'll ever speak to. And he's humble, but he's also realistic. He's like, listen, I got to. And the funny thing is, Bouchard had bought him a shooter tutor before summer. He said, you can go home and shoot. Just shoot. Yeah. I practice. If Evans breaks his stick, Bouchard loses his mind. He's like, yeah, good job, buddy. Like, you took a bunch of shots and your stick broke. Like, bravo. So, um, but at the same time, he was saying, like, Evans, I'm not benching you because I hate you. I'm benching you because, like, you and I both know you can do better. You're going to take a quick breather. You're going to be back in the next game. That's the other thing. He said, come see our match. Now. You're going to be yeah. right back into it. And I think that was important, too. So, um, we kind of, and then you put him out for the empty netter, which obviously, you know, a nice little uh, hat tip from Bouchard. But, um, you know, it, it went, it scripted really well because of what happened. And then he went on a tear. Evans went on yeah, a tear. Yeah, for game. But even without that script, I feel like doing that for one game and saying, you know, hey, man, like, we believe in you, but you need to take a step back. Uh, it's often seen as a punishment, but usually it isn't. I mean, if they're bad, they're bad. But in Evans' yeah. case, it was just more like, we know you can be better. Yeah, and, and you see it, Evans, because Evans is, is is something that Canadians fans can tangibly see. Another player yeah. I feel like really benefited from having being forced to take a step back this season was Josh Brook. I felt like Brook started off the season, people were already calling him a bust. Second half of the season, you're like, ah, that's the guy I saw in Moose Jaw for two years. And and you see like that that quick to label prospects, Kakniemi had to deal with that as well. But I feel he like we're 19, Bouchard, right? Brooke was Pardon? 19 at the start of the year, wasn't he? Uh, no, no, that was Flurry last year. Or, okay, so he was 21. He was, 20, 20, he was 20, 20 straight. Now he's 20. Yeah, like, like a young 20? Okay. What were you guys doing at 20? Did you had you just move, uh, sign a professional contract with the, you know one of the biggest teams in the world, move to another I part of the country? You know what I mean? Like far dumber things in Laval. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, you, know, I, 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 you know, yeah. I, I could say what I was doing, but it would have to be for an X-rated podcast. Now, the thing is, <laughs> what, I'm, what, what I really liked with Bouchard is that I don't care how he's playing at the beginning. I want him to adapt into becoming a hockey player. And one of the things the CHL doesn't quite do yet is getting them to become a hockey player. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not on the ice, just your mentality. Okay. And, and bad things are going to happen, but you're going to have to push through them. So with Brooke, what I saw, first of all, the expectations were insane. Like they're, they're sorry, that's not the right term, but they were, they're just completely out of whack. Um, the confidence once Bouchard, like he even sat him, he put him as a forward one game and people Yo, were, that were, was it. That was the, that was and, it. And I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Put him as and a he forward here, right? Good. He was good. That game at Ford. Josh That's Brooke the- came to me and said, he's like, that game kind of, he's like, I, you know what I realized? He's like, as I was crossing into the blue line, the opposite, I'm like, for the first time in his life, he was looking at it from the forward's perspective. And he used that when he became the defender. Right. Bingo. So he used that, which is, which is really smart. Right. Um, it's kind of like how a, a center can usually pretty much play wing, but a winger can't play necessarily play center. It's a whole go. different ball game. So he was using, he's like, okay. And I was noticing as I was cutting across what they were doing well, what they weren't doing well, what I could exploit. But the key thing here, guys, again, confidence. Like it actually, I think he got an assist or I forget what. He did. He got an assist that game. For the rest of the season, you know, those rushes you would see in Moose Jaw that like yep. Brooke would take it from one end to the other. We start seeing those a little more often. And, and what Bouchard, what Bouchard said was, like, you're allowed to lose the puck. That's fine. But as long as you try that again next time, you know, and then try it again and try it again. So um, I was never as high on Brooke as everyone else, but mm. I, uh, 
the idea that he was a bust half a like yeah. Oh That's, my God, guys, we need to, we need to just calm the hell down yeah. there. You know what I mean? Like this idea that like, even if they play in the AHL for the rest of their lives, they're still some of the best athletes in the entire no world. No kidding, eh? You know? Absolutely. But I mean, this is just Absolutely. the expectations the city sets on everyone that comes in with tricolore on, right? It's just... I, I feel like that's just hockey in general. Is it, though? I mean, yeah, like, I feel, I feel like, like this city big, adds a little bit extra on top of it. Is it, though? Because well, we talk about the Leafs, right? Go ask the Leafs That's, that's, right that's the thing. Exactly. About, as you said, we've had no... Like, we haven't had that can, elusive prospect, right? So people are yeah, super but, excited now. But, I mean, for Paling, for example, people are wondering, you know, why isn't Paling in the lineup right now? I probably would have thrown him in the last game, but... Écoute, Ryan Paling didn't have a great season. He got yanked around. He got pulled up, sent down, pulled up, sent down, pulled up, sent down. Um, this is after an amazing NHL debut. Then he had dev camp, uh, uh, rookie camp, uh, you know, pre- pre- gets injured in preseason. Like, it was a crazy season for Ryan Paling. So what Michelle yeah. said is that, guys, first of all, he asked me specifically. I fought with my boss. I said, guys, I've written about Paling too often. And he's done nothing. Like, what are we doing here? He's like, well, it's the only exciting guy in La Barca. Okay, I get that. But um, I went to write about him and, and Bouchard just asked, he said, guys, leave him alone. Like, just, he, he, he hasn't had a chance to breathe. He maybe wasn't taking things as seriously as he needed to at a certain extent, but also it was an adaptation period. And what Bouchard was saying is like, guys, he's not a Connor McDavid. Like, he's just an okay prospect. I thought that was amazing to hear from a coach. He's just an okay prospect. Some people will think that's an insult, but it's more of a reality check, um, especially after that prospect scored. Oh, are you hearing me? Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're good. Oh, okay, um, especially after that prospect scores three goals in his first game, right? So yeah. um, wow. expectations were absolutely through the roof. And, and here's the other side. If a guy ends up on the third line, even if you draft him late in the first round, if he ends up on the third line scoring 15 goals, that was, that was a good draft pick. And I know everyone wants him to score 100 goals, but that's just it's just not realistic. That's just not how the NHL works anymore. That's nuts. And then, you know, if you look at statistically the way that players are developed, uh, where they come from, how they're drafted, what the probability is at 25th overall, uh, and even if you look around the players that were picked with Paling, uh, none of them have really established themselves in the NHL. You look at Morgan Frost, uh, Eli Tolvanen, uh, Christian Veselainen, et cetera, et cetera. So, again, it just bodes to the notion of patience, right? Nobody put pressure on Nick Suzuki to make this team. In fact, people thought that it was Paling that deserved to be on the club and Nick Suzuki that needed at least two years in Laval. And it ended up being... I ran a poll at the end of the season. I remember that. And it was like 80% were saying Paling in the NHL, Suzuki in the AHL. And you know what? I kind of got it at the time because we're thinking Paling, third, fourth line center, there's no no spot in the top six, but... uh, um, again, Suzuki, intelligent. It, it's all about it's his hockey IQ, man. Yeah. It's through the roof. Yeah. And his coaches were telling me this, like, this guy's so damn smart. I said, yeah, but he, he's good though, right? They're like, yeah, no, no, no. But he's, it's his intelligence that really drives his superior propane. Yeah. Yeah. We, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I, oh my God. The amount of times I used the superior propane, uh, <laughs> logo during that last seat, not the one that just happened, the one before that. Uh, and then it just was revived in the playoffs. That right. is a solid investment for that company. I feel like that right? is going to live that. forever. Now, here's what I think. And first of all, I was so worried when they were training Pacioretty because, um, as you guys probably know, I have a long history of, of going to bat for this guy. I think I think he was really mistreated by the media and everyone. Um, yeah. A little too sensitive in the sense he had that Kevin Durant vibe to him where he was checking yeah. online, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that trade... and. and Keep in mind, Benjamin got crucified for it. I remember them saying, why didn't you trade him at the at the draft? Well, he tried. Or the dead um, And also, I'm kind of curious what prospects he would have gotten from L.A. That would have been 
and interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of skill there. But um, God, did that trade ever work out? And, and, and what I find is the most exciting about this playoffs is they were led by a rookie in scoring. Like, when's the last time that happened? Um, and, and that creativity and, and, oh God, it was just so fun to see. And obviously l'éclosion, the, the evolution of, of Kokinemi, who, like you said earlier, Marco, we have to stop giving all the credit to Bouchard. Like a lot of that was Kokinemi. Yep. Right. Yep. Again, he started when he was, he's still, he was the seventh youngest player in the league this year, seventh youngest in his second year. That's insane. Yep. That's like, I mean, I was going to compare him to Alfonso Davies, but that's probably pushing it because that kid's a, yeah, a wonderkind right there. But think of, yeah. think of being in the best of whatever you're doing in the world. Like think of all your jobs, but you're there at 18. That's insane to yep. me. Like that, that does, oh, look, that, I can't even begin because Kakinami is a very young prospect in his own draft year. Like he was again, yep. two months removed from being to, to, from being part of the 2019 uh, selection. Uh, what I found intriguing is that he got so fast this summer or he got so much more explosive this summer mm-hmm. and didn't get access to ice yeah. once. He didn't even fix his stride. He didn't even he he didn't get stride where he like he like pushes off like he, he bends goes, forward like, and pushes off the, outward. Like, it's insane. It makes no sense. Like it's do, the like, weirdest. But um, what I feel is that he got a lot more power on his push through kick. So his first his go. first actual step, he like comes off the ice way too high, right? So he's losing a lot mm-hmm. of momentum there. But his strides were getting more powerful. Like he was doing like longer, more powerful strides, which obviously build up momentum. So. The explosiveness, um, I don't feel like it's his initial speed, but his overall acceleration went way up. Yeah, and exactly. I was afraid he'd get too bulky, though, because, you know, when he came back, everyone's like, oh, he's so strong now. I didn't really see him being much stronger, if I'm being honest. Uh, and I'm kind of glad he, he avoided the bulkiness. You know, he needs strength, but more yeah. core strength. Like, I don't want to see him doing the PK Subban lifting 400 pounds up. No, that's, know, like, that's not hockey training. That's Look at his back breaking now. your back training, right? So and he just needs to. That's Subban. for the likes on social media. Well, I mean, that, and that's the thing. So Kakaniemi didn't get access to ice. He trained to, uh, he hired um, a skills coach and a speed skater and a Finnish speed skater, didn't get access to the ice once. So all the progression that Kakaniemi made this summer was his own doing. And uh, I believe Arpen, uh, Arpen Basu uh, released an article on this where he actually asked uh, Mr. Kakaniemi, the father, uh, how explain how your son is so much better. And he's it's just, my son went in the backyard and was doing hundreds of squats a day for six weeks the moment his spleen was ready to go. Because uh, right. obviously and, he had an injury. And also, he's finished two seasons in the NHL when most players at his age aren't even in the NHL yet, right? Like, like that's that, the other side yeah. of it is like, guys, I get it. 18, and he had a really good statistical year at 18. His underlying metrics were fantastic. He, oh, was, yeah. he, was, he was protected though. He was sheltered, let's be honest. Last year, they were awful. Like, I couldn't even go back to, I went back to the stats. I'm like, like these actually paint a worse picture than just his production. Exactly. Um, but God, we have to, can we, can, can we just get used to the fact that it takes most players three, four years to find the rhythm? Like we, I didn't cause I wasn't alive, but they criticized like Guy Lafrau to the point. They said, you know, Zion should have been our guy, you know, yeah. and this is, this is the three years into Lafrau. Like, you know, yeah. Patch already, they criticize, oh, he's not going to hit 40 goals. Like guys, we need to relax a little bit. Just turn, just turn 20. And now the Canes are being led by two 20-year-olds. Yep. That, that's yep. fun, right? Like, that's so exciting. Especially, I'm so happy for the new generation of fans because there was a... The last 20 years are trash. Like, there, you know, it was... It was, <laughs> was with Brian Savage. I like and the... Um, like, there was the said um, that line was the best line they've ever had. He's ever played on. And that was Oleg yeah. Petrov and Brian Savage. Oh, my God. That was cute. That was just him being cute. I think there was that or period no, it was in time. Valerie Bury, maybe it might have been there Valerie, you go, Bury. Valerie Bury. There you go. 
And yeah. uh, there was a period in time, I think, between 2007 and 2011, yeah. I'd say, where yeah. the Habs had the deepest prospect pool that they've had on record. This is when they had Price, Pacioretty, McDonough, Weber. We used to or, run like, the top 25 under 25, and Lars Eller was like 15th on the top 25 exactly. under 25. You had Gallagher, exactly. you had uh, Pacioretty, you had Price, Subban. Like, it, was it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. That team, so, I think, right when Benjamin took over, I think was one of the best teams they've had in a lot. And, and it showed, right, because they went to the conference finals. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah. it yeah. just goes to show, like we're there. They're on the cusp of that right now. Um, but but, but with, they have... with a little elite, I find like Caulfield has the potential to be elite. elite. Primo has the potential to be elite. The defenseman, I'm not quite sure if they have the potential yet. to be the elite. But yeah, to me, it's great to have a prospect pool. You need that high, high, high end talent. Like take all the prospects pool, prospect pools, cut them by out of 25, cut the bottom 23. Show me those top two. Now, when you're looking at Caulfield up there in the top two, and, and don't forget, two of their best prospects are no longer on the list because they've graduated already. So, yeah, very encouraging. I'd really like to see a little more high-end talent, though. I, and come easier said than done, right? Go, go acquire a really good young player, please. Like you know, just quickly. yeah. Well, yeah, I, that's that's the GM's job. I don't care how hard it is. He doesn't have to acquire centers anymore. Job, yeah. That was that was very hard. Um, to his degree, to his to his credit, it, it is hard to get a top line center in this league. But to surround those guys is a whole lot easier now because you yeah. have your glut, you have your two centers, uh, and it's far easier. And we talked about it in this draft where you can go and get a, a high-end player a la, uh, you know, Jack Quinn, uh, Seth Jarvis, Dawson Mercer. Uh, All these know. players I know and I researched a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk about it more online as, as we head to the draft. But these are just guys that, that will be likely around the same wavelength. And the Canadians still have 13 other, or sorry, 11 other picks after that. So there's, and there's the wavelength definitely- is key here because you're actually, obviously there's an issue with Price, Weber, and Petro. I'll add Petrie there because he's getting up there. But the rest of the core is all the same age. And that's oh, what yeah. I find really exciting. Like really exciting. They're all kind of like, and Gallagher will end up being like one of the old guys. Yeah. Which is not I a bad leader it. to have, right? As long as is Gallagher and, and Gallagher is never one to to really be a touchy guy when it comes to contracts. He signed a sweetheart deal when he was just entering his his, his scoring. I prowess. saw your criticism of Gallagher. You're saying, yeah, maybe you won't sign him. Mm, I said you have to think mm. about it. I said you have to think about it. But I said the same thing about, about Pacioretty. I thought about so, it. You should think about it because you should think about it. We should it. invite you back every yeah, week, Marco, because we we love when we call out Marco for anything. So this is great. You should though. <laughs> And, Here's the and thing. I will say this. I agree. Always, you never say no to a trade, right? Now, in the history of the NHL, trading the best player has backfired 98% of the time. Like, they got, they snuck through with Pacioretty. And that, to me, was great because they did trade the best player. And let's not forget, Pacioretty's lighting it up right now out west. Like, they actually surrounded yep. him with talent, and he's good. Ah, that's, that's crazy, right? That's crazy. Um, but trading the best player, I find, is always, always sketchy. Now, you absolutely have to see the return is key here. What yeah. I will say... The Canadians lack that fire, that intensity, that P.K. Subban aspect that he used to bring to the table, that, that aspect that it comes in and says, not only can we win, we deserve to win. We're going to go out there and, and, and win. Um, oh. And I'd be afraid to get rid of that. Now, now that's an intangible, right? Yeah, it you is. You go to the tangibles, he, he produces a hell of a lot. There is some exactly. durability. Will he will he last? We've been talking about him playing this way since he's been in midget, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah. and and that's so the reason why he's he, barely he went okay in the fifth there. round. Um, and I'll tell you guys right now, he will not make a headache for the Canadians for signing. That's that's my thing. As long as the contract demands are not outlandish, you keep him. I'm gonna say like he, he could ask for up to eight, and he's probably gonna get in the five and a half range. Exactly, Which because he's probably I, you know gonna what, give, want give a team him six years, five and a half. That's fine. Exactly, and you see, 
I wouldn't even conceive of trading him if that's the case. But what yeah. we've seen now and what we're going to likely see going forward with free agency, with escrow being so high, teams or players are going to be asking for lots of term and for the first time in our history, back-end deals where the where the high end of their salary is going to be in years three, four, five, and six because years one and two are going to be escrow filled. And so they're going to have to give back a lot of that pay. Yeah. And a lot of people aren't thinking about that. So when but, I think but, but of Galli... The escrow thing, I mean, that's just a pre, pre-agreed percentage, right? right. Like, But it, it's... But it does shift pre- the actual, like, yeah, it, it shifts the You actual, have to shift like, when you get paid, is, is it? Like those those $12 million years, make sure it's not Yeah, exactly. Two. So it's more of a, like, $12 million, it all goes according to plan. But if the escrow shifts and we have to take 4% out because we, yeah. we took 2% less in, then, or sorry, the other way around. Yeah, I don't think players really... Like they see escrow as their, as their, it's a super normal thing, right? It's just, I feel like yeah, players yeah. haven't really, but you're right. They hate it. Like they, they, they think escrow is out to get them. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised there. Now, keep in mind, this is the first year in what, 20, since the cap came that it's not going up. Um, yeah, exactly. There was the lockout season in 2012, 2013, where I went backwards, but they had two compliance buyouts. So I don't think it's a coincidence that if you look at the Montreal Canadiens cap friendly right now, they have what three players signed beyond next year, or there two two forwards? Uh, Drouin, at least, yeah, it's Drouin Suzuki. Uh, he'll be on the last year of his entry yeah, level. Yeah. But like um, signed Drouin. I think Drouin, that's it. Yeah, yeah, Drouin. Yeah, that's it. That's or Byron and Byron, maybe Byron. 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 Yeah, Byron. Byron signed okay. till twenty twenty three, which is a bit is a sweetheart deal, and we tend to forget how good Byron is. So I think that's been purpose purposeful by Bergevin is that he's lining yeah. up because the unknown is coming here, and, and this was pre pandemic, and now with the pandemic, probably it's like no nobody nobody knows what's going to happen. And the here. prospect so, pool that they have. What I found really interesting is when they traded for Allen, you're like, yeah, but what about the cap? It's because fans from thirty other teams thought everyone's in cap hell. Not Montreal, like Montreal's been burning cap space left and right. Yeah. So I'm actually, and, I feel like this is proactive. They've tried to go the cheap route. Yeah. And it's okay to go the cheap route if at the end of the day, your budget ends up at 99 out of 100 pennies. But if it ends up yeah. at 72 out of 100 pennies, then that, that's a problem, right? So I love the idea that they've actually solidified that. Because guys, uh, you know, we talk about prospects a lot. The Canadians aren't that far off from being a contender. Obviously, they need game breakers. They need to solidify the top left defense and they need to solidify the backup. But Statistically speaking, they're a top oh, three team, five out of five, at every single important metric except yeah. scoring goals, which I hear is pretty important in hockey. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But that's you see, like that's inevitably that's what it's going to be, right? So if if we look at the Canadians moving forward and, and what they're going to want uh, or how they're going to play it, and this is why I brought up Gallagher, uh, especially when he was injured, and you know that was the the parenthesis is he's clearly playing injured, but if you're in a position where Caulfield's lighting it up 30 goals a year. You need that cap space to sign that game breaker to really just kind of cement your core. What do you do with Gallagher? This is where I would want a Gallagher to stick around. And if again, if the salary demands are 5.5, you definitely keep him. But where I feel like where the Canadians are going to go up a notch, and, and, and AJ, I've been talking to you about this for the longest time, is when their power play will be in the top 10 instead of the bottom five. When 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 they finally yeah, yeah, yeah this one's praying <laughs> when they finally use Kakaniemi's one timer at the left circle when they finally he have, have a, a, he has a good shot too right he has a ridiculous shot Just like that one his one timer is the reason I fell in Marco, love with him you know this like 
it's really hard to hit a one-timer. Petretti wasn't good at it. And that was no. like, this is a guy that almost puts up 40 goals a year in the NHL. And he's, he's like, yeah, I, I have a hard time hitting a one-timer. So exactly. we, we do underrate, but here's the thing with Kanemi is that God, if I could have, if I could tape just something in front of his visor says, shoot, God is like whatever, whatever shoot is and finish there. I'm going to, I'm going to like print it. And so he sees through it. I only know how to say goal and really finish. Cool and, and finish. Take the shot. That's it. Take the take shot. The shot. Exactly. Yeah, cool. Like you have a really good shot. And I feel like, um, it's normal for rookies to defer to 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 yeah, defer to the veterans. be greedy, man. Like, I I'd, I'd even like to see him work a little bit with like Tim Turk or something, just to to yeah. get that confidence off. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. he's got a good shot, but no, you have a to have a coach that says, "Hey, man, like use it, use it, use it." So that's one thing that Joel Bouchard also got. Uh, he's like, "Be greedy, man. Just like be greedy." You saw it at times. It's you just... being greedy actually is the most generous thing you can do for the team. So that's kind of how we're looking at it. But. Uh, yeah. I think once he is the legal age to rent a car in Ontario, he'll probably be a little greedier. He'll join Victor in his mint club and go and take care of his shot glasses. I I could definitely see it. Um, I have critiques over Kakaniemi's length of stick. I think he needs to shave that down a couple of inches. Yeah, yeah it's way too long. Uh, it's and a you see it. stick, right? Yeah, it is. And it, it really is. It's an Armia stick. That's what I call it. It's just like the too long for life. But Armia also yeah. has the width span of an eagle. Mm-hmm. So like... It's it's ridiculous. So Kakaniemi, I find that that takes away maybe three to five milliseconds where he can take or That's get that shot off faster. That's the NHL. That that no he's the NHL. NHL. So I feel like once that's done, you're looking at a prototypical first line center that teams pay dearly for year after year. And we saw Pierre Luc Dubois coming out party. I feel like that's that's the similar kind of impact that you can get from a Kakaniemi if he you know he he really works on that shot, that creativity, and that speed. I'm going to disagree and say I don't think he'll be a first-line center. I think he'll be a really good second-line center, but here's my caveat. That's okay. Like, like if you can get 50 points a year, 60 points a year being defensively responsible, God, that's an amazing second-line center, right? And a lot of second-line centers don't even get the 50 points, so I'm going to maybe pull down the pressure because I've never actually seen examples of him um, being able to really uncork that offensive side. Okay. But... I hope I'm wrong, and even if I'm not, second line and center, guys, like they're oh, so pretty good. Is that is that really because he's a second line center, or are you just predicting that Nick Suzuki is going to be that much better? You know, like yeah, it's, 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 it's exactly that. So you can play with both ends. Um, and Suzuki's see, got the creativity. I feel yeah. like one of the things that Kakemi doesn't necessarily have is that creativity. That's not an, a, 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 to the point that Suzuki has it, right? And I think if you're a first-line player, you need that creativity. And we saw it, obviously, on the power play. As AJ was, you want a good power play. You want more Nick Suzuki's, right? Because just his ability to... Can we just clone him? If we can, if maybe the Canadians invest in cloning technology, (laughs) that would just be the best thing possible. Right. And get get Tatar to just stand there and wait for that pass to be Exactly. done so many of those. There was the one against Columbus last year where I was just like, oh, my God. You know, people were saying the goalie, the goalie, you know, bit. Tripped or, yeah. I said, guys. The cameraman bit his own teammate yeah. bit. Yeah. Tatar exactly. bit. Tatar looked and he's like, "Oh shit, it's coming to me!" You know, like yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. that that triangle formation on the power play of Petrie, uh, Suzuki, Tatar that that to me was just that's how a or power play works. There's a name missing there in that triangle. Well, the most used defenseman. Yeah, I know, but it's Shea Weber. Oh, right? Weber, you mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, that's why they put Petrie with Weber. Uh, in the playoffs because they needed someone to distribute the puck Stop and not just be a trigger man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah. And that's why Mete finally was on a power play in the one game it's, where he was put on a power play. It's fun to see him actually move the puck, eh? It's two apples right off the bat. What I love about Weber 
And what no team has been able to use it in the NHL is that you use this shot as a decoy. You don't use this shot as a shot, right? You use this shot as a decoy to open up because that's how the Capitals use Ovechkin's shot. And there are very few players, especially when Weber's up on, on the the hash marks right in that, in that uh, Ovechkin spot, that's actually Weber's sweet spot as well. And there are very few players that actually have that ability to shoot from there. Now, Ovechkin, the great part is that he moves around so quickly that, um, you know, it's kind of organized chaos. Canes don't have that. It's so static. It's so static. Like their power play is beyond static right now, where Nick, Nick Suzuki forces them to move. And I love that. I, I absolutely love it. I, I, will add, I will add to that. And then this is this will be my final point. And then we will ask some predictions uh, for the playoffs. Yeah. But one thing that I will say that is the reason why Ovechkin is so effective in his second wind in the play in on the power play is John Carlson. Because John Carlson can distribute the puck like no other. He could put on a swivel for him, no problem. Uh, and he could also cover for him defensively should anything yeah. happen on that one-timer and it go the other way. Because we've seen Ovechkin miss the shot and it go back the other way. And we saw Weber do that more often than not this season. Putting a guy like Petrie with Weber, first of all, it's a righty to righty, so the one-timer comes off easier. But it's also because Petrie has enough speed to come back and cover for Weber the if there's yeah. a counterattack. Exactly. Yeah. So this is where I see he puts the coach at ease a little bit too. Yeah, exactly. Puts me at ease. So it's you know what? I I use five forwards if I could in the power play, and one exactly. day I think we'll get there. I think we will get there. But I, I coaches have it. to like it has to be a whole new generation of coaches. It has to, you know. I I like where it's going, and I think it's going to get more exciting. So definitely something to look forward to. Uh, so for these playoffs, we're gonna we're gonna tail off with this. Uh, we already had our, our kind of our, our talk at the beginning of the the segment, but we'd like to know uh, Dallas Vegas. Who do you see taking that one? I think the Vegas Knights are the best team in hockey right now. Um, it, it, not just, I mean, obviously, <laughs> analytic, analytically speaking, analytically they're one speaking. of the best, if oh, not yeah. the best. Um, but here's the thing. When you put together a line, like when you put Stone... Well, I, I didn't watch the last game. Was is Stone still playing with Pat Trady? Yeah. Uh, no, they yeah, shifted around they a started, little bit. They started them, but... They then, started yeah. together. Yeah. Okay. At one point with Stastny, it was the most like they were they were destroying yeah. the Gallagher line in terms of possession, which is tough because that's one of the best that's, lines in hockey. Yeah. But you have star power. Mark Stone is the most underrated player in the NHL. I don't know if you can say that anymore because he's been recognized a little bit. But no, the, the way still, the way yeah. he creates turnovers, it's not you're not hitting the guys right. You're threatening to hit the guy, so you're you're readjusting his flight path. And when he does that, when he readjusts the flight path, it's to save your head from getting hit. It's not to protect the puck. So Stone figures that out and steals the puck, which is brilliant. Um, you have a questionable defense in terms of star power, but you have a well-rounded defense. I think there's a lot of underrated players there. And obviously, you got the goaltending. So um, I really like Vegas, and I'm going to say because of that, Dallas is going to win. Fair enough. Hey, man. Like, are we sleeping on Dallas? No, I'm not. I, and to be completely honest with you, it's just I am the kind of person that believes that Vegas is deeper um, yeah. you know, Shea yeah. Theodore being the top defenseman for Vegas so versus Miro Heiskin. And, you know, these are two defensemen with pure coming out parties right now. But it's well, insane. See, but Heiskinen is old. Well, I mean, did you guys ever watch his first NHL shift? Like this guy yeah. is, he's just insane. I've been, and, 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 gu- then, and like, then you have Klingberg, right? And then, and who's the yeah. other, uh, third? S. L. Lindell. Yeah. Like, yeah, not bad. it's, I look, the defensive cores on both teams are incredibly underrated because but it's more just, about some it. of the parts than a like all star exactly. like, although i think heiskanen soon will be a norris winner in my opinion yeah. he's like he's bound yeah. for it 
I think the I think this draft showed you the future Norris winners. Or sorry, not this draft. These playoffs showed you the future Norris winners. The Macars. Uh, the only sad thing I have is that we didn't get to see Dallin in the playoffs yet. I guess that will come maybe or one ever. day. Before. No, no, it'll never okay, come. Well, no. Forget the Sabres then. They'll probably trade him for a first and some prospects. But yeah. it's... Um, Patrick you know, Berglund, a second-round pick, and uh, <laughs> yeah. who else did they oh, trade God. for Ryan O'Reilly? The boat uh, cars a first-round pick, a second-round yeah. pick, Tage Thompson, uh, Berglund... And hey, I Tage Thompson's the, tall. He's like 6'6". Six, six. More size! <laughs> and then we have the Eastern Conference between Tampa Bay and the New York Islanders. Oh, man, that's, well, that's, that's going to be a fun one. I vote for Trotz. So, so do I. I, I just... I, mean, I love watching Tampa make it far, but then crash and burn. Okay, that's all of our pastimes, right. isn't it? <laughs> right. Kinda. You know. Um. Also, one thing I love watching is teams like blow it all up when they're like, for example, it took so long for Washington to win with that core, and I got to give them kudos because they didn't blow it all up. Right. Same thing with they're talking about the Leafs right now, real quick. And I don't want to compliment them too much, but you don't blow that core up, right? Like, there's no. you work around it, you shift things around, but you don't just like oh, caught in and a bug on the No, so. Tampa needs to do that. They need to stick to their ridiculous, ridiculous roster. But there's something about Trust's ability to to just bore, not bore you to death, because that's more Alain you thing, but he gets a lot out of his defensive system. Like, we all thought it was Leonard last year, right? But it, mm. they were allowing a ton of shots. Not a ton of them were high quality. He's just a really smart coach, and uh, I love the speed up front. So I haven't been actually – I've been in and out doing some personal things. I've been watching the playoffs that closely. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and put my money behind uh, the Islanders. I don't disagree. I think the Islanders have incredibly underrated defensemen. Uh, I think when you think defensemen are the Islanders, you think Nick Letty. I think that's problematic. Uh, I much prefer... Even, uh, like their top... Like, is he well, even... that's it. I prefer Pollock. I prefer Taze. Uh, these are guys that are incredibly underrated that are going to get paid this summer. Uh, oh, so okay. for me, the Islanders, if they want to win the Cup, it's this year. Both the Islanders and Tampa, because I feel like they're they're both going to get stuck with cap issues, uh, re-signing their respective star players. So, I think that this is the time for the Islanders, and I think that this is perfect uh, motivation for them. Uh, seeing that the Islanders are this far without John Tavares, and John Tavares has been golfing for the last three weeks. Now, now, and I love that, right? Um, and all the teams he interviewed with, like they've all gone on to like cup finals, except for him, but uh, or semifinals. Now, here's one thing I will say: people are saying it's because they lost Tavares that they're better, or because the Leafs added Tavares that they're worse. It's no. fun to say, mais c'est pas vrai. That's why you want no. like, like it's fun now for house fans to say, ah, say Mal, like you didn't give us an interview. Now you're, you know, you we were in the playoffs, you weren't. But let's be honest, like back then, especially now, the Habs are finance center. Mozi, they would have been a lot better with John yeah, absolutely. in the middle than, absolutely. than whoever Suzuki it would was be, at the Suzuki, time, you know? Suzuki so. would be playing right wing. Oh, well, you know, like it's... Yeah, it's, yeah it's, exactly. It like, I don't know. It probably was Radic Bonk or something, but like whoever he would have replaced in the depth chart, it would have been great, you know? So uh, to me, right. the answer is almost always, it's almost, uh, it's very rarely the top. And I feel like that's something in hockey and going back to Kachemi, we tend to criticize the stars and the ones that are actually, that, that can bring you to the next level, but... Let's be honest, they're already doing a lot of the heavy lifting, and it's a lot oh, yeah. easier to criticize them. Um, but they get paid more, too, right? So that, that's kind of I, I, that's kind of part of the deal, I think. And, and yeah. one of the things Kanemi did good this year is I think he kind of let go of the criticism. Like, he took it at heart. Uh, yeah, but yeah. again, when you're 19, and, and, and you have this 45, I, I, like Jérôme from Saint-Léonard that's saying that you're a piece of crap, that you're a bust, and that you're, you know what I mean? Like, 
That's rough to hear. So uh, I think he had to mature in that sense too. Might so, be my neighbor, know. actually. Yeah, exactly. You know, from our, you know, Francis from La Salle is, is he thinks that we should have picked Kachak. I get that. I get that. Brady good. He's an amazing player. Uh, but when we talk about expectations um, and development, we're looking at two to five years, not oh, yeah. two Absolutely. to five weeks, right? Absolutely. No, I, like I said, it, it's it's one of the things that I like to preach a lot is that development is not linear and no. you got to look at things the whole way. So, look, it's uh, what a what a pleasure. We, we spoke for like an hour. This has been phenomenal. I feel like Mark. AJ We've, and Adam just got screwed up. I don't think so, so at all. No. We, we got to witness this amazing conversation. So I, I'm just grateful that we, we gave us our time today. Um, I, First of all, I, we, I played with my hair once in a while just to. It's no. a shame this oh, is an goodness. audio podcast because you don't just see your lovely face and your wonderful head of hair that I have to. I don't have any hair, so I'm just like I'm just. I'm always jealous yeah, of everyone. Because I always move around. Left and right, it's okay. So the the like, beautiful oh, hair like, people are on the bottom of the screen for me. So Adam and uh, Marco, they're all on the left for me, <laughs> not, and not Marco. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no. Uh, so no. Mark uh, Dubosk, where can be found at Mark P. Gimon on Twitter, and of course he's the Canadian's uh, special con- uh, collaborator. Is that's the co- special contributor collaborator? I'm not sure. Contributor. contributor. So yeah, I do stuff for the Canadians. You do stuff for the Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, thank, you, thank you so much uh, for your time today mark we really appreciate it adam I'll throw, uh, uh, anything else you want to say marco anything else you want to say i don't think i'm allowed to speak anymore guys i think i've <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that was fun well that... but uh like yeah, i said thanks I, a lot, guys I, honestly i really appreciate it i look uh I, as usual I look forward to the content that's going to be released, especially that Struble article. But uh, yeah. definitely the draft articles that uh, that you'll be releasing in the next uh, few we weeks. We will promote so them heavily on the everybody show. Everybody stay tuned on the Canadians' uh, Twitter feed because, good Lord, are we in for some fun. It should be uh, should be pretty entertaining. And, you know, when they add those, I guess we're just down to 12, but it'll be, what, 43 draft picks in the last three years? Yep. Thanks for having me on. Move it. I really appreciate it. Well, we thank you, and uh, like I said, if uh, we'll, we'll definitely have a pleasure of having you back on the show uh, as soon as we can, hey, once everything yeah, comes Open down. invitation, anytime you'd like. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Thank buddy. you so much. Our thanks again to Mark Dumas. You can find all of his amazing work at at Mark P. Dumas on Twitter. So that's M-A-R-C-P-D-U-M-O-N-T on Twitter. You can also go directly to the Canadian's website where you can get all of his content right now. I hope you learned as much as I did because, man, that man is a fountain of knowledge. Uh, Just what an awesome presence, and we appreciate his time on the show. Let me just quickly shout out our handles, at Flow. that's at D-A-H-O-C-K-E-Y-F-L-O-W on Twitter. They can follow us to get all the latest episodes. You can follow Adam at ReallyAdamB for Adam Boucher. And you can also follow Marco at ScrimmageAndStats.com and, of course, at TheHockeyExpert on Twitter. My name is AJ Cordero. We'll catch you guys next week.